All right, if y'all got your Bibles, open up to uh, Luke chapter 8. We're going to do the parable of the sower, starting in verse 4 through verse 15. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get started. Okay, Starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathered, was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these having no root, while they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of the life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. Father God, my words in and of themselves carry no weight, they mean nothing, they're fading. God, but Your Word, like we sang, lasts forever. Your Word is eternal. Your Word alone contains life. So God, I I pray that we would take that seriously, in light of this text especially, because that is what it's about. This isn't just about a one-time evaluation of our hearts. This is about, in every single Sunday, every single time we hear the Word of God taught, we need to evaluate our hearts to see if we are receiving it properly. So God, I pray that right now you would just speak through me. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just bless this time, Lord, and um, that you would be glorified through it. So I thank you for this time, and I pray all these things in Jesus' holy and perfect name. Amen. All right. So the reason I chose to teach on this... um, I was thinking of a couple different things, but the reason I chose to teach on this is because I think there is a big problem in the modern church, and I think we would be foolish to say it's not in our own. Um, it's almost like a cancer moving around. I think peop- they're passive Christianity, lackadaisical Christianity, that's no Christianity at all, right? It's not. You know, It's just a spit in the face for what Christ has done for us. So I think that this text specifically needs to evaluate us, really, and we need to be receptive. So we've all heard our fair share of sermons and teachings on parables and stuff that Jesus has given us, but this one we've probably heard more than the others. You know, this is a pretty common one, and I think this parable undeniably commands us to consider and reflect upon the spiritual state of our hearts, really. So this is the first major parable in the in the. Gospel of Luke, um, there are two previous parables seen, the house in the sand and the story of two debtors, um, but this one is the largest parable yet. And a lot of commentators call it the mother of all parables. Does anybody want to guess why? The mother of all parables? Is that what they call it? 
Yeah, anybody know? Anybody want to guess? Because this is the parable that Jesus used to explain why he used parables and what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to affect people. So, like, he just kind of explained how it was supposed to work, right? Um, yeah, but uh, as Jesus was bringing... So Jesus was on a mission right here. You know, in the context of this, he was on a mission. Jesus was going through cities and villages and he was preaching the Word of God. He was bringing... Um, what is it? Uh, bringing the good news of the kingdom of heaven through cities and villages. So a mass of people had accumulated around him, right? Um, and it was paramount that he addressed the heart posture of the listeners that he had following him. So this is important. Um, there are all sorts of people following him. There were those who were genuinely interested and made alive by the teachings of Christ, specifically the disciples. Um, then there were others who were just following along, maybe for the sake of miracles, like who's this Jesus character? And I don't know, just maybe he'll do another cool miracle or... You know, on whatever reason, just interested in the character, but not his lordship or his deity. So Jesus had to address it, and this is important. And he addressed it in a firm manner. And I think we really need to take serious consideration. So there are two steps that need to be taken anytime we read or hear a parable, right? So first, we need to rightly interpret what it means. We need to dig out the spiritual truth behind what it means. And once we do that, it's not enough to just know. It's not just brain candy like Mark says. We have to apply it to our hearts personally, right? And this parable is universal. This parable is universal. There's not one people group left out. There's not one group of people that's excluded from this. Um, the four hearts that are displayed in this are present anytime the church assembles to hear the preaching of the Word of God. Always. And that's, that's what Jesus says. So now considering this, um, we need to ask ourselves, where's my heart seen in this parable? Really, um, so I want to note first that the Word of God is not obviously not equally received by all, right? And that's why Jesus displayed the four different kinds of soils. There's three kinds that are bad. There's one good kind. And that's the only kind that leads to, you know, bearing spiritual fruit, right? So in verses 4 through 7, Jesus kind of teaches with an agricultural and earthy type picture, right? Like one, something that would make sense to ancient Israelites, right? So... So he starts talking about, I mean, you can picture it. These guys can picture it. I'm going to explain how it works. These guys, when they are sowing their seed, what these farmers would do, they would get a sack of seeds. They'd throw it over their shoulder, tie it to their hips or something. But they would start walking through their fields. Start walking through their fields. And with every step, they'd reach their hand into the bag and kind of rhythmically and methodically disperse the seed with every step. And, yeah, and it's likely that they were even watching a crowd doing the, or watching somebody doing this in the moment. I mean, it was likely they could have been watching somebody sowing seed right there next to Jesus. Jesus could have just pulled that example out of, out of nowhere, you know, just seeing it. So we see that a sower goes out to sow seed. Some falls onto the hard path. So the fields in ancient Israel. Um, the fields in ancient Israel, they were uh, like plots of land that were grouped together, but there were three-foot paths kind of separating, like three-foot wide paths separating um, the fields and stuff. And the farmers would use these to traverse around their land and go check out their crop and everything. But also, civilians would just walk through. You know, they just walk through and cut through the fields to get to the, the next village or something like that. So that path was uh, a hard-packed surface. Um, and as the seed was spread, the bit that fell onto the path was swooped up and taken by the birds of the sky and trampled underfoot. You know, it's simple. You can picture it, right? Um, then he gives us another picture. Um, we see the seed that lands on rocky soil. Um, and the rocky soil describes a type of land, you know, imagine a, a layer of topsoil in a garden, right? But about three inches below it, there's probably a little bit of limestone. 
So the roots can't really dig deep. You know, you can't really grow anything on top of it. Um, So the point is, when the seed falls, it penetrates the soil and springs up, and it sends its roots down, and it sends its shoots up. But as the roots go down, they have nowhere to plant themselves. They have nowhere to go. So as a result, they have no moisture. They have no nourishment. They die. They wither up, right? So it says, as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Then third, we have the seed that landed in the soil filled with thorns and weeds. So that soil looked clean and healthy. That's, uh, that's what all the commentators say. That kind of soil looks clean and healthy. You know, it doesn't look like anything to the naked eye. You couldn't tell. But underneath the root balls, the, 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 the root balls of the weeds, you know, they were under there and they were ready to spring back to life as soon as the sun or the rain or whatever came along. So these weeds would come to life and suck every bit of nutrients from the soil, leaving the plant without nutrients to grow and bear fruit. So even if the crop does grow up, the weeds will grow up all the more, preventing the, the sunlight from reaching the plant. You know, it just chokes the plant out. And then lastly, we have the good crop, um, the seed that fell on the good soil. That crop is produced, the crop that is produced is beautiful and tall, right? That's the picture that he gives. Um, and the remark that most, the, that most likely caught the ears of the people in the crowd was that Jesus said that the crop would produce a hundredfold. Now, a hundredfold is a huge number for those fellas. You know, like they probably heard that and had no idea what Jesus was talking about, but they probably really wanted to know his agricultural secrets, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, usually they would get sevenfold, tenfold. That was fantastic. Tenfold was like money. You know, they always, they wanted that. They wanted tenfold, but a hundredfold is remarkable. It's mind-blowing. Um, and the picture that Christ was painting was seemingly simple. It was seemingly understandable. Um, but the meaning is far deeper than first perceived. In verse 8, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So be- Jesus basically right here just said, Do y'all have any idea what I mean by what I just said? Do you guys have any clue what that means? Um, and the truth is, nobody did. Nobody had, nobody had any clue what he meant. So the disciples, you know, being new to parables, the disciples being new to just walking with Christ, you know, they asked him. They asked him in verse 9. Um, they came to him and asked him what the parable meant. So, so Jesus responded with, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So there's some huge significance in there, in that, in that statement that Jesus made, because he quoted Isaiah. And in the context of Isaiah, as we know, you know the people of God had completely rejected his word. They were rejecting him in every single way. They were completely opposed to the will of God. They were opposed to what he had commanded of them. And as a result, God hardened their hearts and God turned them over to their own sin. And he gave them up. And it's just the same way with this parable. This parable is meant to harden the hearts of those who will not believe. And this parable is meant to reveal the mysteries of salvation to those who are elect. That's the truth. And that's how the word of God works, really. Um... So according to the sovereign will of God, some will hear and be saved and some will not. Apart from God's effectual grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, all of us are incapable of responding to the gospel rightly. This totally flies in the face of the Jesus, the soft serve Jesus that our culture throws out nowadays. Really, that's a hard saying to hear. Um, The fact that not everybody is going to be saved. There are those who will hear and respond and then there are those who will hear and their hatred for God will be kindled up even more. 
Truly, that's the truth. So God, God, in His sovereignty, grants understanding of His truth to the disciples through the teaching of Jesus, right? And I'm glad He did that because I'm not sure we would even really know the true meaning of the parable now if Jesus didn't do that. So it's great that He did that. Um, you know, and this, this, this message belongs to Him. That's why He can choose who is saved. It belongs to Him. He can choose who it's planted in whose heart it's planted in. And with the disciples, God the Father obviously had granted them understanding. So now to just to break down, that was kind of just like a little background of what was going on. But now to break down the text. So if you look at uh, verse 11, we'll see this. Now the, now the parable was this. The seed is the Word of God. So the seed obviously represents the Word of God like it said. So this implies that the sower is God Himself or the preacher whom He has commissioned to preach with His authority. Um, and in this case, it's Christ. So that's perfect. I mean, truly. Um, but just in the same way that a tiny seed contains life, the gospel message contains the true life, power of true life and salvation. You know, under the right conditions and the inner workings of the Holy Spirit, the sowing of God's Word um, springs up into salvation and fruitful living. And this picture is perfect when considering the new life we've been given in Christ, right? So the picture that Jesus paints shows us a sower who's faithful to the Word of God. He's faithful to the Word of God. The message that he preaches is gospel-filled. It's Christ-centered, God-glorifying. There's no room for over-emotionalism. There's no room for prosperity. There's no room for uh, anything else. No junk. No junk. This is dependent on good preaching right here. And good preaching requires good listening. And I think that's the point of this right here. We need to evaluate how we're listening. So, So we need to think about that. So the first thing we see is in verse 12. The hard path. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So this path represents somebody who is calloused and hard at heart. Um, This person hears the gospel and rejects it. This may even be a person who mocks Christianity and mocks Christ on the cross. Um, This may be the kind of person who sits under the preaching of the Word of God every week. Really, it could, be, it could be a pastor, an unfaithful pastor, who rejects the Word of God and rejects the Gospel when you plainly state it to him. It could be a teacher, your Bible study teacher. It could be anybody. It could be you. That's the point. That's the point behind it, right? Or it could just be someone who is simply indifferent to the Scriptures, right? It's just not, it might not even just be like, I hate the Gospel, I hate Jesus, I hate Christianity. It could just be someone who's totally indifferent. It just seems like it just goes over their shoulder, you know, like they don't give any regard to it, right? Um, and the reason they don't receive this message is not because the preaching is weak. It's not because the preaching is weak. It's not because it's lacking gravity. It's not because of anything like that. This is because men, left in their natural state, are darkened. They're darkened in their own understanding. They are alienated from God because of the evil within their own hearts. They lack a sense of alarm and urgency when it comes to His eternal and salvific matters. Um, It could be someone who is outwardly wicked, but it doesn't really have to be. It doesn't have to be somebody who is outwardly wicked. It could be somebody who is outwardly morally great. Really, it could could be somebody who stand up, somebody you would want to emulate, but God knows the inward heart. And God knows your thoughts. God knows your mind. And it will not escape Him. Right? So, these kinds of people sit through sermon after sermon, letting the words go in one ear and out the other, yet they never allow the seed 
sown to take purchase in their lives. They remain completely unaffected and inattentive. These people, in reality, are training themselves to ignore the truth of God and conviction. This is the heart that is on the path of destruction. Any bit of spiritual truth they may attain, Satan snatches. Right? And we can see this everywhere. I mean, you can see this in the classroom nowadays. You can see this. I took a, I took a biology test today, and it spoke of evolution and all this. Evolution is God, pretty much, nowadays. And science classes, you see it everywhere. God is rejected by, every, by, by the masses, by everybody. We live in a modern-day Babylon, like I was talking to my mom about earlier. It's a modern-day Babylon. And it's not just, you know, where you're at. It's everywhere. It's the way that we think. It has been ingrained in us. Our sin pattern has been ingrained in us, right? So that's the, that's the, that's the hard path. You know, it's like, it's not really hard to expand upon these a lot because Jesus already did it. So this is, might be short. Um, so if we move to verse 13, move to verse 13, we reach the rocky soil. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a little while, and in time of testing, fall away. The second group Jesus addresses are those with a shallow heart. And the shallowness he is talking about are those who respond to the gospel with nothing more than animal excitement. And that's the truth. It's a superficial pseudo-faith that is rooted in emotions. They love the sound of the gospel. They love the idea of being forgiven. They love the idea of church community, but they do not love Christ. And that's the point. They love their sin, but they love the feeling of just being accepted and maybe bettering themselves, you know? But this is, you know, that's absent of true faith. There's no true brokenness. There's no true repentance over sin. There's no delving into the hidden truth of Scripture. There's no humility, and as a result, there's no life. And as a consequence of not, ha- and as a consequence of not having true faith, when the testing comes, they fall away. I think the problem with this kind of person is that they view salvation in a very self-centered way. Um, in a sense, this religion is kind of no different than AA. You know, like it's no different than AA meetings. They don't see Christ as their only hope for salvation, but rather they see Him as a 12-step plan to feel better about yourself or feel better about something. But it's not salvific in any way. So what this person lacks is a true understanding of their position before holy God. And their position before a true the one true holy God is one of e I man is evil. Man apart from God's grace is destitute and bound for hell, right? And we need to understand that. There's nothing I can do to merit salvation with the Lord. There's nothing I can do to I, there's nothing there's nothing you can do, right? Um they just don't know the position before holy God. Their heart has never been plowed with God's law. The sinfulness of their sin has not yet been made known to them, and the dead condition of their hearts has not been shown. So Jesus says that in the time of testing they will fall away, demonstrating that they were never of Christ. Just like 1 John says, you know, if they, they, if they depart from us, they were never of us. Because true Christians, re- true Christians persevere to the end, you know? True Christians persevere while the Holy Spirit provides spirit, like steel to your spiritual backbone. I mean, that's what it is. And all of God's elect will be preserved to the end of time. All Christians will pass under the rod. Christ will save all. Christians, don't give up. And that's not what a Christian is. The rocky soil is not representative of what a new heart or a new life looks like. Next we look at verse 14. We have the thorny soil. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Hmm. This is a big one. I think the cluttered heart is perhaps the most popular type of heart in the Christian church today. As we know, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. They don't, they do not, cannot, never will exist. This idea became mainstream. I copied this from Dad's old sermon. This idea became mainstream in the crusade era era with the evangelism of Billy Graham, really, with the whole make a decision for Christ. You get 15,000 people make a decision and only 15 of them last. You know, it's just, it's junk, right? But this is, that's not the... That's not the true way of salvation, right? Carnal Christianity is not true Christianity. And what I mean by carnal Christianity is you cannot be saved, you cannot be purchased with the blood of Christ and be given a new life through the power of the Holy Spirit and remain in a remain living in a sinful pattern. You know, you can't you can't live in a sin-filled pattern. You, you're, the thing that characterizes your life must be Christ. Really, it can't be sin. And if it's not Christ, it's sin. Really. Um, so yeah, this has became a mainstream idea, and I think this is a big problem nowadays. Yes, God is gracious. Look, look, the new life given to us in Christ does not allow for sin-filled, distracted living. Yes, God is gracious and full of mercy, and all of us fall short. But the point is that true salvation encompasses all that a man is. It is desires, his motives, his dreams, his thoughts, his attitudes, everything. All things should be under the direction and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Truly. And I think the key to understanding this verse is uh, the word choked. You know, the, you know, they were choked. Let's look at that. I'm just going to read it again. And as, for, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So look, the point is that they are choked and their fruit does not mature. The word, the seed of the gospel, n- never produces any gospel fruit. The Word does not do what it was sown to accomplish. The life of this person is filled to the brim with nothing of importance. Look, it could be a career. It could be your career. It could be a dream. It could be uh, working out. It can be liter- golf. It can be anything. It can be anything. If it takes the place of Christ, it's sin, right? And it's not just necessarily that these things are sinful in and of themselves, right? But they become sin when you place them on a pedestal above the one true Christ, Right? So they have a divided heart and attempt to serve two masters. And Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There are many who appear to be believers, but their love for the world demolishes any trace of spiritual life in their souls. J.C. Ryle has a fantastic quote on this. I'm going to read it to you real quick. The things of this life form one of the greatest dangers which beset a Christian's path. The money, the pleasures, the daily, business of, the daily business of the world, and so many traps to catch souls. Thousands of things, which in and of themselves are innocent, become, when followed to excess, a little better than soul poison. And helps to hell. Open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. In the midst of our families, and in the pursuit of our lawful callings, we need to be on guard. Except we, watch, except we watch and pray, these temporal things may rob us of heaven and smother every sermon we ever hear. We may live and die thorny ground hears. So I think we need to listen to that and say, where does my allegiance fall? 
truly. I mean, where does my allegiance fall? Does it fall with Christ or the world? You know, James says, do you, know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's sobering, and that requires reflection. So we need to really consider, have I given everything? It costs everything. It really does. The cost of following Christ is your life. Living is a daily, living is, you're, you're a living sacrifice, right? A living sacrifice. So, and then we reach the good soil. Verse 15. As for that, that good soil, they are those who, when hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So, the good soil is the soft heart. This is a soft heart that has been prepared for the sowing of seed by the Spirit of God. This is a heart that has received the gospel of Christ and the type of faith that bears fruit. And like the passage says, it is someone who holds fast to God's word with his heart. He regularly reads, receives, sits under and responds in obedience to the, in obedience to the faithful teaching of the word of God. That is a heart that has been made good by the grace of God alone. It's not that he was naturally inclined to respond. You know, it's not that he was naturally inclined, more inclined to respond to the calling of God, you know, the, 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 the calling of God, but it's grace alone. That's purely what it is. So it's not that he was naturally inclined to respond to the command of the gospel, but instead it was the Holy Spirit that regenerated his dead heart and gave him the faith to believe. This heart is patient. This heart faithfully perseveres. Amidst trials and temptations, it's an honest heart, one that sincerely desires to grow in the knowledge and understanding of our Lord. It's a heart that recognizes that Christ is his greatest treasure and his only hope. This heart is a gift that is from God and it requires a real response. We are required to respond to the grace of God by dying to ourselves, by applying God's truth to our lives and by bearing fruit. Only by living in true submission and obedience to the Word of God can we be sanctified. The Holy Spirit sanctifies according to through obedience, right? You know, so only by living in true submission and obedience to God's law can we bear the fruit of Christ. Um, Christ's character should be manifested through us by the fruit. You know, should be manifested through us. You know, the fruits of the Spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are not only to be hearers of the word, but we are to be doers. We are supposed to implement it in our lives personally. This is a person who regularly challenges his thoughts. This is a person who regularly challenges his attitudes, his emotions. He challenges them all, everything in his life, with the Word of God. It is someone who wages war against sin in his life by brandishing the sword of truth. Really. Um, it's really easy to get sucked up into like the, just the, the cares of the world. It really is. Just you know, going throughout your, your normal week, it's really easy to just totally disregard Christ and almost put Him on a back burner. Right? But that's... Our example is Christ. And did Christ do that with us? No. Did we see any of the apostles doing that? No. None of them did it. There's no example in Scripture. You can't find one example in Scripture of passive and weak Christianity. The path is narrow. And the gate is narrow. And I fear it's far more narrow than a lot of people think. And I think that's what I'm trying to get out. I fear that the path is far more narrow than people think. There is concrete truth that God has given us and that He has revealed to us and that He has given us the hearts to understand and to believe. 
But it is our job to preach those things and to acknowledge those things and implement them in our life, right? We just can't live haphazardly and expect to just passively evolve into the likeness of Christ. It doesn't happen. It never will happen. Actually, that just leads you to hell. You know, the, the idea of passive Christianity, that's the doctrine of demons. That is not the doctrine of the Bible. That is not the doctrine of God. That is a lie from Satan, right? So I, I just, I know this isn't long. This isn't a long sermon. I could probably say a lot more. Um, but I think that the point's probably a cross. There's no way you can hear this and read it and not understand it. Christ explained it perfectly. And if it still doesn't make sense, then you're really messed up, man. Like, you're really messed up. No. But it, seriously, this is an easy, easy parable to understand. And there's not much more I can say apart from what Christ said. He said it all right there. I mean, there's nothing more I can add. So it is up to us to seriously consider these words. And I think like a, a true, a true evaluation just of who we are. And rather than falling away in the midst of temptations and rather than you know, going along with the, the cares of the world, we need to be attentive and we need to be on guard for our own hearts. And we need to be on guard for what the truth is. Look, the heart that pers- perseveres, their faith is going to be refined and it's going to be as pure as gold. And that's what it is. Proving to be genuine instead of being burnt up. So, it's really important for us to evaluate what kind of heart, our con- you know, what, what's the condition of our heart. How are we receiving the Word of God? We hear it faithfully preached every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. You can't name one where we haven't. But how are we handling it? Because He's handling it well, truly. I mean, I'm not trying to like puff you up, but He's handling it well. And there's a lot of room for us to grow. And we need to be serious because the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the advancement of the gospel is our number one mission. And I fear that most Christians have forgotten that. What was the mission of the apostles? To go build the church. To go build the church. Right? What is our mission? To go build the church. And that starts with us personally. That starts with us personally. You know, so this parable is so easy to understand. You know, yeah, you can't really add anything. But, I mean, there's just a few questions you can ask yourself. Is your heart cold and opposed to the Word of God? Like, is it truly? You know, what's funny is the first time I read this, I read this this week. First time I read it, I said, I'm none of those soils. Actually, I said that. And I read it again. And I realized, man, I'm a whole mixed up bunch of all of them. You know? Like, so we need, to, we need to just seriously consider. I mean, the, the, you are one of these four. Plain and simple. So is your heart cold and opposed to the Word of God? Do you resist it? Are you choked away by the cares of the world? Are your tastes for the world? Are your tastes for the world, not for the things of God? Do you have a superficial faith that is not deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, you know, you can, say you, have a, you can say you have a faith that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and it not be the gospel. You know, I fear that's, that's a big problem too. We need to preserve this message in our hearts and in speaking. We need to tell people, look, we need to be the sowers as well. We need to be the sowers as well. Evaluate your heart and then sow seed. Evaluate your heart. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ because that is the only way anybody will be saved. My words stink. My words can't convince a heart to do anything. 
I can't change my mind to do anything. The Word of God alone is alive. The Word of God alone is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God alone builds up and breaks down. The Word of God alone convicts and builds up. That's all, you know, that's, that's it. So we need to be faithful to the Word of God, and we need to be sure that we're handling, handling it properly. Um, I don't really have much else to say, to be honest with you. So I don't know. I want to ask a question, but I don't know if it's you know too far. What kind of what kind of soil does this church consist of? What are we? Does anybody want to answer? Well, I think you're probably right. I think it's probably a combination of all four. You know, I think there are plenty of people who sit here every Sunday and every Wednesday, and they hear, and they're not receiving. Yeah. I've never looked at this text as an example of the election doctrine, but huh. the fact that the sitting here reading that the fact that the sower threw through the seed, the sower threw it exactly where it was meant to go. Hmm. And nowhere in this text does it blame the sower for throwing it there. No. There's nothing that is allowed to talk back to, well, you didn't plant it in the right area, you didn't give it the right nutrients. It doesn't have any room for that whatsoever. Yeah. It is solely on the soul itself that made it grow. Yeah. Exactly. But for the I mean, the crowd that Jesus proclaims this to is first century. Mm-hmm. My guess is they would remember the commands of the prophets uh, to break up our fallow ground. Yeah. Hmm. To sow for ourselves righteousness. Hmm. Not to sow among the thorns. So this parable had to have a lot of cultural context for them, mm-hmm. okay? and, and understanding that. And of course, you know, a lot of them walked away not understanding. Some of them walked away did understand, but still, that command is there yeah. for us to take action, and that is to continue to make our soil good soil, continue to pursue righteousness. Yeah. Spend time in the Word. Avail yourselves of the graces uh, that God has given to us in prayer and Bible study and fellowship and, and, and all of all those graces. That's yeah. That's what we are to do. Exactly. The Holy Spirit, yeah. You need to cultivate righteousness in your own life for the Holy Spirit to have room to work. Yeah. I mean, if you don't do that, you're, there is no room. You're filled up with everything else but the Holy Spirit. But yeah. Have you guys ever seen a single stalk of corn? Yeah. By itself. A what? A single stalk of corn standing by itself. Oh, no, no, no. Because that it can't grow by itself. Hmm. It has to be planted together. And the picture there is, if we're in, if we're in good soil, we need to surround ourselves with good soil because we can't. We'll suck all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We won't grow. Yeah. Exactly. So for us to for us to see, like let's say. Let's say this side of the room, good soul. This side of the room, <laughs> not good soul. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you've got Ugh. to, and I know it's not a perfect analogy, but it's our job to make y'all good soil. And yeah. for us to strengthen us, each other with the Word. Exactly. The, because if we don't, we're going to run out of nature. We're going to die. Don't be the weed that chokes a brother out. Yes. Don't be the weed that chokes a brother out, really. Don't be the rocky soil that keeps roots thing, from being planted. Yeah, I think the big thing, too, is like, here's the thing. God is the one who prepares the heart. 
God is the one who tills the heart. Yeah. Right? Yeah. By which, you know, we receive the word and we're saved. But then there is a responsibility upon us, like to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And part of that is caring for our hearts. Yeah. And taking responsibility for our spiritual condition. Yeah. Like I think lots of times what people do is what happens is that at least with the shallow soil and the rocky soil is like they treat like the moment of confession of faith in Christ as that supreme moment (laughs) and then nothing after that matters kind of thing right like I mean we've all heard that like when somebody dies exactly well so and so well you know he got baptized when he was 12 (laughs) you know the rest of his life looked like hell but I think he's in heaven yeah no he's not like you know what I'm saying and so it's not that the moment of confession of faith is like the, the pinnacle of all things. It's it's the beginning of new life in Christ. Yeah. And there's a responsibility to, you know, shepherd your own heart well. Well, exactly. Like the whole point of a garden is so you can tend it. If you leave a garden untended, everything grows up. Rabbits come. Things come and destroy it. It's destroyed. You know, if you don't tend a garden. So you must, that's why I think this picture is so perfect. Like, you need, there is personal responsibility in this. Yes, you have been saved by the grace of God alone. But there is definitely real personal responsibility that we have in our walk with Christ. Right? Hmm. Um, I agree entirely with what you're saying. But going back to um, before, a single Christian on their own is no such thing. can't be a standalone Christian. Um, you know, we're meant to be in the body. Right. And I'll say it's simple, my, my little simple ways. We're fighting against what, at least what I grew up with, that the, the nuclear family was the most important thing. And my family took, took us to church. And hmm. I'm so thankful, because I don't know where I'd be otherwise. But they, our, our society... Um, is wrapped around the nuclear family, and how how do we become the body of Christ? Um, hmm. All of us. I mean, there you know, the Holy Spirit works among all of us. Yeah. How do we do that when there is just so much um, attention to, and I don't mean this negatively, but attention to the nuclear family? Um, and maybe I'm the only one that. That worries hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't like bothering other people <laughs> and calling and asking you to do something for me. Yeah. Because everybody is so busy. But um, so I, I guess we, we need to pray for each other. Yes. Um, yeah. Because yes. That, that matters. This church needs to be one body, and I think we're getting there. But it doesn't have to be slow. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think, I think this, Nancy. I think as um, it becomes more costly in our culture to be a Christian, like we were talking about on Sunday. I mean, really, I'll give you a preview of Sunday real quick. But, like, seriously, there's a reason that there's the progression in Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Like, when you see it, like, you know, that we are to love God and then love one another and then serve the Lord. And if we do that, there's going to be tribulation. And then the thing, then, you know, in verse 13, it's contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hmm. The whole idea is to take care of one another. Yeah. you got to take care of one another. And I think as we, I think as it becomes more and more costly and more and more difficult to be a faithful Christian in the church, 
a faithful Christian in the world, I mean, we are going to be necessarily driven toward one another for life. I mean, that's just what it's going to be, you know. And and I'm, I agree that it doesn't have to take, you know, forever. Like, it, and it shouldn't, you know. But that's on us. There are going to be people in this church, in the true church, who are going to look outside of the us drawing together and going, you know what? It's a little, a little scarce in here. I mean, we're, we're taking care of each other, but we're, I mean, we don't have the big ritzy things. We don't have the fancy things. We don't have the soft and, and nice things because we're taking care of each other with the things that we share. I'm not saying that we need to become communal to the point of communistic, but, you know. <laughs> There is a bit of going, you know what, I, I see my brother and my sister in need, and by doing that, you in a way are tending the soil of your brother and sister, because you're making sure that the weights of the world aren't the distraction on them, hmm. so that they can then say, you know what, my brother and my sister are caring for me, and now I can water myself with the Word of God, and know that God is, is using this family to, to sustain me. Hmm. Paul used yeah. a good analogy I like with the, sol- the soldier putting on the armor. Mm-hmm. And the analogy he used was a Roman soldier because he was so familiar with them. All the, all the implements that they have on, the one thing that they lack was back armor. They had the breastplate, they had the shield, they had everything, but they had no protection from the rear. And because the Roman cohorts stood together, they interlocked their shields, they were in an impenetrable wall as long as they face the common enemy together. Yeah. Anytime that line was broken, that's, sick. that's yeah. when the cohort fell. Yeah. But they, I mean, they interlocked, they were trained. Anytime any arrows came from overhead, they interlocked their shields overhead and formed a, a roof. Hmm. So that not only, no matter what the weight was, whether it was stones, tree limbs, whatever, from uh, walls and stuff, you didn't support that weight by yourself. Yeah. The way the shields locked together, the entire legion held it together. Hmm. So you weren't just taking that attack alone. The one beside you helped support you. That's awesome. Yeah. And that took discipline. Yeah. Yeah. And training. And training. Took yeah. It's not attacking your brother beside you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We've been set free from dissensions and rivalries and all that stuff. Like, we are actually one now. Like, John 7, read it. He says it a hundred times, over and over and over again, that they be one with us, like, one together, like we are one. You know, it's all over and over and over. But yeah, I like what you were saying. Look, the thing is, if you stand up and you actually... It's like what Harry Reader said when we were at Legionnaire. If you stand up, and if you, if you stand up, speak out and you stand firm, the devil will fire his darts at you. The devil will fire his arrows at you, and you will get hit. You will get, you're not going to dodge all of them. You're going to get hit. But that's when you got to look at your buddy, or you got The example he used was awesome. You know, it was just, he was talking about warfare, how when a Navy SEAL is hit, he looks at his buddy and says, you hit? And they say, yeah. But he says, you still in the fight? And the other one would always respond, yes. And that's the thing. I mean, we need to continue to be in the fight. Continue to be in the fight. It's an active thing. It's not you can't. Part of that, and part of that is tending the soil of our hearts, so that we can help. We can strengthen one another. Yeah. You know, so I'm not the weak link. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say something. Um, the soil that we're most 
tempted by is probably the choked out, being choked out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking, man, Kylie, you know, you don't know until the, the weeds grow up and then actually choke you out. But you're not, you know, hmm. got to watch against that, obviously. Guard against that. And you have to be producing fruit. Yeah. How embarrassing is it to be a, a plant that produces just a little bit of fruit? You know what I mean? Like that's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's like it's a, it's a shame. Like it's a guy that might work out five days a week but still can't bench the bar. Like exactly. You yeah. You know, you keep feeding yourself, maybe, but like working out. The result. There's no. There's no results there. That's well, that, the whole purpose. Well, exactly. Well, that's what happens when you don't. Matter. Yeah, when you don't allow the word of God to take purchase in your own heart personally like that's why i'm saying we need to apply the word of god first to ourselves evaluate where our hearts are at and then we need to sow the seed and we need to sow the seed and maybe that means even with your brothers and sisters in christ really because at any given moment look a believer can end up any kind of one of these soils they won't last that forever but they can have the heart of this they can have you know you go astray david you look at david he went astray his servants were like hey isn't that, you know, your Bathsheba, isn't that Uriah's wife? Isn't that Uriah's wife? What are you doing? But he totally disregarded it. Totally disregarded it because he just wasn't in the game anymore. Not at that point. He was on the path to destruction, really, to destroy his own life, really. And sometimes we get sucked in that as believers. So, like, don't think that just because you're saved, you're always the good soil. You're not. You're not. And if you think that, then you're definitely one of the other three. You know, like, <laughs> definitely. But... Do what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many times do we hear God uses, like this parable's great because it's a warning, you know, and it's, it divides the heart. But how many times do we hear in Revelation, like, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. Like, pay attention. Wake up. Wake up. You know, these days are not going to get any better. And like, the hardest thing in the world to do is try to make somebody care about something. You, you can't. Only God's Word can do it. Only the Spirit of God exactly. can do it. You know? Um, yeah. So, thank you. Hmm. Anything else? This is another thing to keep in mind. This isn't a tonight evaluation alone. This is every single time you're sitting in a pew on Sunday. Every single time you're sitting in one of these nasty chairs on a Wednesday. Every single time. You need to evaluate where you're, really, where your heart's at. Really, like, how am I receiving this word? Am I, just, am, I, do I, am I just in it for theology's sake? Do I just want to know what's going on in the historical context of Isaiah? What's the deal? Are you taking it personally and being instructed? And allowing it to evaluate you. I read that this week and it just really changed my perspective. You need to allow the Word of God to evaluate you. You don't evaluate it. You know, I think too we have to have a kind of a daily evaluation. And as we go about our day and as we are around people, you know, are we thinking about them in the light of Christ? Are Hmm. we looking at our conversations to be, I don't know if this person's saved. Yeah. And sometimes you don't have time to share the whole gospel, but to even... You know, invite them to church or be sure there's some part of the conversation that leads them to at least consider Christ. Because mm. that's our point. Yeah. When we meet people, that is our point. Yeah. And And so that's how we go about sowing seeds because we're not always going to have the grand and glorious moment. Like we don't, you know, we're not a pastor in a pulpit. 
right? We aren't. So it means that as we go, as we go, we sow. Yeah. And so I think everybody that we meet, there's an opportunity to, even if it's for a brief moment, to consider, you know, are hmm. we making the conversation somehow revolve around Christ or, or to come and hear, yeah. even if we don't have time to share the whole gospel. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. 100%. 100%. Yeah, you throw the seed and uh, the, the 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 seed and the wind scatters it how it does. But like that's the hand of God doing it, the right? Like, but we have to be responsible to speak it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Exactly. That that's what we can take comfort in is knowing that it's not our job to create a response. You know, like it's not my job to create a response. I can't do that. All I have to do is faithfully preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. That's actually it. It's simple. It's very simple. Right. Hmm. So while God is. Nick said, when, when God initially tills your heart and prepares your heart, that Holy Spirit uh, moment of, of of saving you, of breaking what was stony and turning it into a soft heart, there is that self-tending then is asking yourself, are there weeds that are starting to take root? Mm-hmm. You know, what what's distracting you? Yeah. It could be in your own house, it could be your, your felt needs, it could be yeah. your desires. Yeah. Or is there are there incoming stones? You know, because hey, when you're out there tilling soil, sometimes the stones from somebody's soil might fall into your own. Yeah, and you kind of become a little, you know, jaded by things that you see when you're trying to preach the gospel of somebody else. Hmm. You know, and I think there is, or you know, evaluate yourself. You know, am I am I t- truly tilled? Am I the path? Hmm. That the words about to get snatched away from. You hmm. know, more than likely in this church, you're if you're going to be the unsaved part, you're probably not going to be the path. Hmm. But it's not that there aren't path people in a church. Yeah. You know, they show up on Sunday to look good and go for my next, you know, real estate sale. I mean, those, those look, look, and I think a lot of them actually are the leaders of churches. Really, they trample the word of God. They snatch it away from those who are in the pul- or in the in the pews. They snatch it away. They steal it. They're sons of Satan. I mean, like they do their father's will. Really, that's what Jesus would say to them. It's harsh, but it's true. So, you know, hmm. one more thing that really stands out. I'm sitting here reading Genesis three, and it talks about uh, working by the sweat of the brow. Thorns also and thistles shall the ground bring forth, and then God sends Adam out. Think of ourselves as Adam. When he sends him out of the garden, he tells him to go till the ground. Hmm. I mean, if that's not a command, if that doesn't relate to the soil, hmm. I don't know. What <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. That, that was the very effect of Adam's sin. That was that, not effect. That was a result and a direct discipline. Yeah. From that sin was to go and till the ground. Before that, it had been nurturing and loving, and he could get any food that he wanted. Hmm. Now he had to work. That to sound like we're working for salvation. That's not what I No, mean. yeah. But we do have to till our ground and make sure that we are checking ourselves and keeping the thorns and thistles away. Exactly. Hmm. Anybody else? We good? Sweet. We have a little bit more time to pray afterwards so people can actually think about this. Pray. Alright, let's pray. Um, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for... For your great grace to open your word to us and to give us ears to hear and to give us eyes to see. 
if it weren't for your mercy and your grace toward us, Lord, we would be, um, we'd be blind. We might be able to understand the facts of this parable, but we wouldn't understand its meaning. And that, that is a work of your grace for us. And so thank you for that. And thank you, Lord God, for um, the way that your word rightly taught um, God it is a gift it really is and and it depends upon your faithfulness and I just thank you Lord God for just bringing us the word through John tonight and I pray that our hearts would respond to it I pray that we would think seriously about everything that we've heard tonight it's easy sometimes, Lord God, when we know a text very well to kind of pitchfork it every other way but ourselves. I pray that we wouldn't do that tonight. I pray that we'd hear these words and that, Father, they would, they would, they would dig deep into our own souls and that we deal with, we deal with, these, with, with this text honestly and forthrightly um, for the sake of our own souls and, and for the sake of your glory. I uh, pray, Lord God, that as we go forth from here, we would be faithful in every opportunity to 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 sow the seed of the Word of God. You know, to to sow the seed of the gospel wherever we are, knowing, Lord God, that ultimately you're the one who brings us to the end. And uh, I pray that we'd be faithful to do it. So thank you for this time, Lord, that we've had in Your Word. You are just worthy to be praised. We, we thank you for every good gift that you have given to us. And we thank you, Lord God, for bringing us your word tonight. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.